in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Last week we shared together this verse and our title was Build Right. And our aim was how to start building our life in a proper way. Let me share with you first again the same verse, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4 to 6. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. So we spoke last week that we are here to believe and to activate this reality that I am built by God himself. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. And we found out that we are the house of God. And Christ himself make every one of us his own personal project. What we shared last week was these seven points. I will go through them in a minute. First of all, we found out that to build right, I need to know it's a synergy. It's a divine human act. God is going to initiate something in my heart by his grace, and I'm going to respond positively and actively. Second point we shared last week, we saw that he is a designer. So every single small detail in my life designed by God. I have the opportunity to enjoy it in its fullness or to ignore it totally. We found out that he started to build from inside out. He started from the Ark of Covenant, and then he reached to the outer part of the tabernacle. And we saw that he knows our weaknesses. And he showed us that the three most disgraceful events in the life of the Israelites became the memorial in the tabernacle. The three disgraceful events when they were grumbling and uh, rejecting God in a sense, he made them a conversion in each and every life of them and it became a memorial and a victory in their life. And we saw that he is inviting us to rebuild our tabernacle once more in a different sense. And at the very end, we saw the how he is designing everyone around us. We said he did not make evil people to discipline us or to persecute us, but he is able to use these hardships to remold and reshape every one of us. Finally, we spoke about the new tabernacle. We saw how Christ tabernacled among us and how this tabernacle became something holy and divine and give us the same opportunity that every one of us is now an indwelling place of God the Son through the unity in the Eucharist. And we saw how now the Eucharist, every liturgy is a manifestation of this holy temple which explained in Hebrews chapter 9. And then we went further and we saw that in the second coming we will have another third final tabernacle where we are meeting with the Lord and we are staying with him forever. What you want to share today is I started to build right, but sometimes I miss out during the way. Many people around us, many people in the church history, started to build right, but at one point they were deviated. St. Paul himself was telling us about Demas, who started with him, but he was deviated. So our title today is Don't Lose Sight, How to Correct Myself Always Within the Church Teaching. 
how to correct my spiritual walk through the path of 2,000 years of our forefathers who taught us how to go through. So what I would like to cover with you this evening, these five points. First of all, we teach small thing about the two tabernacles. What are the two tabernacles of the Old Testament? And then we go through these five points, how not to lose sight. So we'll speak about the tabernacle where there is a presence of God and the other tabernacle where there is only sacrifices and to see what does it mean, both of them. And we'll see how by offering good offerings, we could reach to the holy place. We could reach to the presence of God and so on. So let me start from the beginning with you. But let me ask you before we start, how many tabernacles do we have in the Old Testament? Come on. Hmm? What are they? Three. And we need the word tabernacle, something called tabernacle in the Old Testament. We know, of course, what we discussed last week, the tabernacle of Moses. It was built nearly in the year 1445, and it was the place of worship till building the second temple in the year 959 when they consecrated the temple. But there was another second tabernacle appeared only nearly for 50 years. It appeared from the reign of David, which is 1010 before Christ, till 955, nearly 51 years. But what, what, this, what is this second tabernacle? The first tabernacle, as we discussed last week, we saw how God gave the dimensions, every details of it was given to Moses. The second one, God didn't speak about it at all. David did it by his own. And did it for one reason, to be a place where they have only one item from the seven items in the, old, in the tabernacle of Moses. To have only the Ark of Covenant. And then people around the Ark of Covenant in the day of consecration was more than 4,000 persons between singers and playing different kinds of instruments. So for 51 years, the Israelites have a second one. Let us go step by step with both of them and to see what is the difference between both of them. If you would like to know where they are exactly, Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it shows us both of them. Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place, Solomon here, just before making his own temple. So it is the time where there were two tabernacles at the time. The high place that was at Gibeon for the tabernacle of meeting. They pitched the tent for the tabernacle of meeting, which is the tabernacle of Moses, in Gibeon. And it was like, not mobile anymore, but it is pitched in one place till the day of uh, consecrating the temple. With God was there, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But David had brought up the Ark of Covenant from the Kirat Jarim to the place David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in at Jerusalem. So we need just to understand this small thing. Have two tabernacles, one of Moses and one of David. 
The one of Moses has, has everything except the Ark of Covenant. The one of David has only the Ark of Covenant. The one of Moses is pitched in Gibeon, and the one of David pitched in Jerusalem. These are the two tabernacles, and will go red with the tabernacle of Moses, and green with the tabernacle of uh, David. And this again, in summary, what we said. One of them was in the Mount Gibeon, the other was in Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And because we have two tabernacles, we have two high priests at the time. Again, only for 51 years. The high priest of the tabernacle of Moses at that time, we are talking about the last days of David and the very beginning of King Solomon, was Zadok, and the tabernacle of David was Abiasar the priest. The main difference between both of them, one is totally empty, it has only the Ark of Covenant, the other one has everything except the Ark of Covenant. Moses one has only the, uh, ha ha missed only the Ark of Covenant. Let us now go step by step. David became an old man, and he's about to die. And his children were fighting, who is going to reign? One of them, called Adonijah, decided to take the reign by himself, despite he knew that his father, King David, has promised Solomon was the kinghood. And here what is happening. We are focusing more on the priest of each tabernacle and the behavior of each one of them. Why again? Because it shows us how we can miss out in this case. So 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggis, exalted himself, saying, I will be a king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good-looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he comforted with Joab, the son of Zerawah, and the Abiasar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. This is what happened. If you think, again, logically, someone wants to reign as a king. And then he found out that the head of the army is going to join him. Now the priest has a choice. Either to follow him, because now I have someone proclaiming himself as a king, and in the same time, someone who has the power, who is the head of the army. And then you are the priest. Who are the one who is in such a choice? Are you going to choose the authority and the power, or will you choose God again? What he did here, Abiasar, the priest, followed and helped Adonijah. I'm following the king. Whoever is a king, I'm going to follow him. Despite he knew and heard, King David said, Solomon is going to be the king. But now I'm moving with the power. I'm moving with the authority. On the other side, again, the other priest, but Zadok the priest, Benaiah, Benaiah the son of Jehoadah, Nisan the prophet, Shemairai, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. Again, he's asking me at the beginning, would you like to lose sight or to keep your, yourself focused? Are you following a person? Are you following a king? 
Are you following the head of the army? You will miss out everything. It was a real high priest who was not following the power or the authority. Again, to think of both of them, or to summarize both of them, have a false king proclaimed him Adonijah, but he has the priest Abiasar, he has the head of the army, Joab, and he has no prophets. While King Solomon has the Duke, Banaya, and Nisan and the prophet. Both of them looks good. Both of them looks have the authority following a king. One of Banayahu, son of Yehuda, was also a leader in the army, but he was not the head. The head was uh, Joab. And the prophet was in this side. Again, am I following where the prophet of God is there? Which means I am listening to the right voice of the Lord. Otherwise, I will miss out. So, there is two high priests. One followed the word of God. One followed the, the prophet of God. <clears throat> and the other one followed the authority <clears throat> or the military power. Adonijah has a plan. Have the support of the head of the army, have the support of the priest <clears throat> of David's tabernacle. He doesn't need a prophet and proclaimed himself a king. Sometimes we are in this position. I don't need a king. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I don't need a prophet. I don't need to listen to the word of God. I am following a person. Proclaimed himself, I am the king. And now he has the authority because he has the head of the army. While there was a different plan. The divine plan was, yes, I'm looking for a mighty man, <clears throat> but willing to fulfill the will of God. It's not any head of the army will do it. I'm looking for a priest, but a priest obedient to God's will. Not any high priest. I'm looking for a real prophet of God. Not to tell me what I want, but he is going to tell me what he wants from me. Then I'm seeking the approval of the king of kings. The king who promised King David are not going to make it by our own. Why? Because there is authority in the kingdom of God. There is authority in the church. Taking it one by one, how we can lose sight. Now we just have the, the narrative or the historical part of the story. First of all, if you are in his presence and you incline to your human wisdom, you will lose the privilege of being in his presence. What does it mean? Abiasar, the high priest, was the priest of the tabernacle of David, where is the Ark of Covenant, which means in the full presence of God. You can lose this privilege of being in his presence when you follow your own wisdom, when you follow the power, when you follow the authority, which is not from God. So the first thing to make me lose sight is when I'm not inclining to the voice of the Lord, not inclining to the voice of the church, to the main teaching of the church, I lose the presence. In reality, I'm in the presence. He is the high priest of the tabernacle of David. He's in the presence singing and praising God before the Ark of Covenant. 
day and night. In this tabernacle, there was no sacrifice. They had a lot of sacrifices on the day of consecration and then only praise and singing. And he's asking me and you this night, did I lose the presence of God because I am following my own personal wisdom or following the power, following the wisdom of someone else? He was a high priest, he was in the presence full time, but he lost the presence. So the first thing not to lose sight, I am not following authority or power or nomination, I am following God. I am following the street or the straight path of the church. Not because I am in the presence, all what I am doing is right. They were in the presence and they missed out totally the whole mission. The second thing is not to lose sight. Your faithfulness is in offering to him can bring you to his presence. Again, Zadok was in the other tabernacle, only offering sacrifices, but he was not in the presence. The presence was in the other tabernacle. And King David said, verse 32 and 33, first Kings chapter 1, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nisan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehovah. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and take him down to Gibeon. If you are faithful in what you are doing now, if you are faithful in obeying the king, if you are faithful in offering your sacrifices, he will listen to you and bring you to the presence of God. The very famous story of Cornelius. Cornelius was not from God's people. There is a group in the, in the, at that time called God's fearers. They are not Jews, they are Gentiles, but they are God's fearers. Cornelius was one of them. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. Yes, he was not in the presence of God. But your faithfulness, your obedience to the king, your obedience to the prophet of God, will bring you to this presence of God. So again, if someone lost the presence while he is in the presence, he's thinking, if even you don't feel in, you are in the presence now, you, your faithfulness in what you have will bring you back to this <clears throat> presence of God. So when we think of the whole story of the two tabernacles, of making a new king, Solomon or Adonijah, Solomon was the king because of one thing, the faithfulness of the high priest of the tabernacle of Moses. He was not in the presence, but he, his faithfulness brought him into real presence before the king of kings and before King David as well. The third thing, not to lose sight. When you lose the focus of the presence, you lose the power of anointing. What does it mean? 
We know from the whole history of the Israelites, if we are going to ordain a priest or a king, he should be anointed by the high priest. But because we are doing something wrong, we miss the anointing. If you go again to 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 34, then let Zadok, the priest, and Nis, and the prophet anoint him king over Israel, and blow the horn, and say, Long live King Solomon. But Adonijah was not ordained. He was proclaimed, I am the king, but he was a false king. Zadok, who was not in the presence, he got the anointment, and he has the power from the king, he has the power from the prophet, go and anoint. King Solomon as a king. So we grieve when we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we quench the Holy Spirit, we are doing something wrong. And we are missing something very important that without his anointment. St. John said in first John chapter two, verse twenty and verse twenty seven, that we have received an anointment which is able to teach us everything. When we grieve this spirit, when we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, we are doing something nonsensical. But he is the priest who was in the presence of God. He lost it. And this one was not as a presence, but he was faithful. And his faithfulness brought him into the presence. And being in the presence gave him the power to anoint King Solomon, the greatest king, the most wise king in the history of the kingdom of Israel. Again, it's about me and you. I'm asking myself this night, am I quenching the spirit by doing anything wrong, disobeying God? The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, that and we testify that he gave the Holy Spirit to those who obey him, not to those who are doing it in such a way, those who obey him in its fullness. And obey him, it means the prophet is with us. It means the king of kings, or the father of the king, King David, is with us. I'm not doing my own will. The Bible say, says that Adonijah was good-looking. Yes, he has a good-looking. And he has the head of the army. He has a high priest, the high priest of the tabernacle of David, which was closer to the heart of David. And if we look to the book of First Samuel, we'll see how close Abiasar was to the heart of David. He was with him in the hardest time. But ends up, now the king is going to die. I have to find someone who is in authority to follow him, who is going to do things good to me in person. So again, we might lose this power of the Holy Spirit when we grieve the Holy Spirit and when we quench the Holy Spirit. The way that the church is always pointing to us, it's repentance and confession. You can't make it other ways. If the church is saying you need to repent and to confess, it means I have to, to, to repent and confess. Again, unfortunately, sometimes confession is something very occasional. Every big problem in the family, every now and then, I need to commit myself to my father of confession, to be accountable. If you would like to grow in your spiritual life, we need to make this accountability to your father of confession, to know that you are walking in the right direction, to know that you are listening to the voice of God, not listening to your voice, 
not to listen to any alien voices as well. Saint Clement of Alexandria is telling us about this, how it's important to keep your Holy Spirit not quenched and not grieved. Thus also we have, we who are baptized, having wiped off the sins which obscure the light of the divine spirit, have the eye of the spirit free, unembedded, and full of light. This is from day one, the church entrusted me for this eye of the spirit free, unembedded, and full of light, by which alone we can we contemplate the divine, the Holy Spirit flowing down to us from above. When we quench him, when we grieve him, again it becomes embedded and I'm not full of light anymore. So the call of repentance is going to be always forever in the church. Joyfully repenting and joyfully confessing our sins. Again, the two tabernacles. You can lose this power. You can, you will never lose the Holy Spirit, but lose the power of the Spirit in your life. You can lose this intimacy with the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice when you grieve him or when you quench him. The fourth thing that can make me lose the sight is when you listen to the prophet and the prophetic word you are in the right place. In the same chapter, verse 11 and 12, so Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggis, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Come, please, let me know. Let me now give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your, own, of your son, Solomon. Now the situation becomes very hard. Why? Because someone proclaimed himself as a king. And the Bible was telling us, and King David did not rebuke him. It means he was accepting in a sense. What are you going to do? There's something wrong, but it is proclaimed. Are you going to follow and to keep yourself silent? Or are you going to resist? The prophet, the true prophet, didn't keep silent. And he has the high priest of the tabernacle of Moses with him. But he is the one who is leading it. And again, he's asking you and me now, are you listening to the right prophet for the right message to be in the right place? Or again, I'm following the power, the king who proclaimed himself a king. What are you following exactly? You know, in the same story of King David, when Itai the Gittite followed him, when Absalom proclaimed himself again as a king, while he was not a king, he was a false king as well. The verse, verse 19, chapter 15, it says, And the king told Itai, Go and stay with the king. The verse was showing two kings. One real king, King David, was not enthroned and one false king, King Absalom, who was sitting on the throne. And then David is giving him the choice. Whom are you going to follow? The one who is in the throne, but you know for sure he's a false king, or the one who is running, 
who is not in the throne, one who is despised, and everyone wants to call him even his son. Here is the same thing. Which prophet are you following? Which king are you following? Every single word comes from your mouth, every single decision, every single text you send, or whatever you are doing is a choice between a real king enthroned on the cross. That's why on the Good Friday and Tuesday, Wednesday evening, we say victory thrones. Your throne, O Lord. We see him a real king, despised and humiliated, but he is a real king. And it is the same till today. When we choose the real king, we choose this one, who is despised, rejected by everyone. But we choose him to be our king who reigns over our life. The first thing is, um, not going to lose sight if I'm following the true prophet despite all circumstances around me. The same thing in First Kings chapter 8, verse 9. We know, as we spoke last week, that in the tabernacle there were three, three items. The Aaron staff, the a jar of manna and the two tablets of stone. And now King Solomon is going to end both of them. It will be the end of the tabernacle of Moses, the end of the tabernacle of David, and now we have the first temple of God in the year 959. And here what he did. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. Why? Why it is only the Ark of Covenant and the Ark of Covenant, the two tablets of stone. Many commentators and many church fathers spoke about this verse. Some of them said, both of them, the staff of Aaron was resembling our Virgin Mary and the jar of manna was resembling the manna is Christ himself. So this is a temple in which Christ has to be in. So now he is the real manna, and Virgin Mary is the one who bought it and gave birth while she is a virgin. But the most important thing here, as most of the commentators insist, that still we are in need of the covenant. Still the same word of God will remain forever. And more than that, he is telling us, you have to obey the word of God. We'll see in a moment the last point, that even when we start to have a, a temple that Solomon missed out. Why again? He was not obeying the word. He forgot that we, he put only the two tablets of stone in the Ark of Covenant to show that I am bounding myself to the law of God, faithfully and joyfully. It is not something to make me afraid of his word. Because as we spoke last week, was always a mercy seat, covering our brokenness, our broken law, through the blood of the good of the of the atonement day, which is now, as we said last week, it is on all the time the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. One last thing, not to lose sight, is not to do as Solomon did at that time. Again, First King chapter. One, 11 verse 1 to 10. I'll just pick up a few verses from them. 
But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wife turned his heart after other gods. Why? Now you have one temple having everything, having one high priest. is a priest of the presence of God and the priest of all sacrifices. And then verse 9, it tells us, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. And here's the reason why. Deuteronomy 17, 18 and 19. When I'm commanding you to do something, do it my way. Yes, you, you are the most wise person, the most wise king in the history of Israel and maybe in the history of humanity, as the Bible said. But again, don't ignore my word. Your wisdom alone can lead you anywhere. Despite he has a divine wisdom, but he misused it. Why? Because I am wise. There was no humility beside it. In Deuteronomy, he says, Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. He's saying, you now, from the beginning I put these two tablets, or this law, inside the Ark of Covenant, covered with the mercy seat, covered with the blood of the Lamb. And now you need to write your own copy in your heart. And this is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. You will find it three times in the scriptures. First time as a prophecy in Jeremiah 31, 31. The Lord was saying, the day will come when I will write my words. Where? Here and there. Then St. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, it happened. Again, in chapter 10, verse 15, it happened. That as he said in the past, that the Holy Spirit will write his word in, his, in their heart and their mind, he did it. And joyfully enough, we have it in, in the church in the prostration prayer in the day of Pentecost. If you remember, the church is bringing uh, the charcoal at the, at the third part of the church, and we are putting incense. This is not just to put incense. The part of it will commemorate the departed. But the biggest part is we visualize what has been done on that day. The church believes, as a church tradition telling us, that on that day, the day of Pentecost, it was the day in which Moses received the tablets from God, written in these tablets of stone. On the day of Pentecost, the church is telling us today he is going to rewrite them in your heart and your mind. As mentioned in Exodus 19 and 21, the, the mountain has smoke and thunders. And now we see it. We have this incense to tell us today the Holy Spirit wants to rewrite the words once more in your heart and in your mind. That's why in Deuteronomy we're saying him, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites, and shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe 
all the words of this law and their these statutes. Observe all the words. If you are still picking up certain parts, certain commandments, you are not following him. You are following your own self. As St. Augustine says, whoever chooses certain parts of the scripture and keeps them and, lo and loves them and ignores the other, he is not worshiping Christ, he is worshiping his own self. Strangely enough, all the prophets in the Old Testament will share one of them, Amos chapter 9, verse 11. The Holy Spirit was telling us that the coming Messiah is going to restore the tabernacle of David, not the tabernacle of Moses. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and rebuild its damages. I will raise it, I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. The tabernacle was, was there only for 51 years. The prophet is saying, it is the one I'm going to rebuild. He didn't say, I'm going to rebuild the temple. He didn't say, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of Moses, but the tabernacle of David. Here's the fulfillment, and we ask ourselves in a minute, why? In In Acts chapter 15, verse 16 and 17. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up that the, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Why? It is the tabernacle of David will push everyone to seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all, the thing, all these things. So the prophecy has been fulfilled. But why is it this tabernacle? This tabernacle is the liturgy. Why? Have one thing. Christ is amongst us with his real body and blood. And everyone, the priests, the deacons, the congregation are singing one long song with different tunes. This is the reality of what was done in the past, what was prophesied by Amos and even Isaiah as well and then fulfilled in the church. So when we say that the liturgy is the center of our worship, because we are fulfilling this prophecy, because you are in the midst of the Son of God, God is amongst us in reality, in his body and his blood. And we are all singing one long song with different tunes by the priests and the deacons and everyone else. Christ in his, in his real presence is there. It is not anymore an Ark of Covenant. The Eucharist becomes the meeting between God and man. As we shared last week, many quotes by St. Athanasius, that the meeting ground between God and man, now it's the person of Christ, was full God, full man, to unite us once more with him. The word of God is kept and read. We have in each liturgy, of course, excluding the matins and the vesper, five readings. So we have the real presence of God, have the prophetic word amongst us, read and taught, taught in the church, with the church, according to the church teaching. All and everyone in the church is singing joyfully around this real presence. So when we say don't lose sight, it means not come to the liturgy, not practice the Coptic hymns, but live the liturgy. 
live this real presence. Enjoy every single word in every single song. Enjoy the depths of the word. It's not how to chant only. Yes, it's good to chant in a good voice. But the reality is, or the main thing is, I know what I am saying and in, in which presence I am there. That's why it shows how we can stand in awesome presence of God during the liturgy. Why? Because we are in the fulfillment of this eternal restoration. We spoke about it last week, how it is resembling the coming tabernacle. How this, it, every liturgy is the manifestation of the divine altar, the divine heavenly altar. But it is here manifested in the flesh to allow every one of us to participate in this great mystery, as we say it. Let me finish with the words of St. Basil the Great. He that eats me, he says, he also shall live because of me. I'm receiving the life of Christ, the life of God in me. He shall also live because of me. For we eat his flesh and drink his blood, being made through his incarnation and his visible life, partakers of his word and of his wisdom. We partake of his word, Christ, partake of his wisdom. For all his mystics sojourn among us, he called flesh and blood, and set forth the teaching consisting of practical science, of physics, and of theology, whereby our soul is nourished and is meanwhile trained for the contemplation of actual realities. We have no symbols contemplation of the actual realities. When we sing the cherubim worship you, we are in the presence and in fellowship with the cherubim singing the same song. It is the actual realities. There's nothing symbolic. When you go and unite ourselves with the body and blood of Christ, it's actual realities. One of the prayers we have it in the liturgy of St. Cyril, we are asking him to go home with which kind of heart or mind with the purity of your son of whom we are going to commune. I'm going home with the purity. This is the actual reality. I need to contemplate in it. The purity of your own son, Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, trained for the contemplation of the actual reality. This is perhaps the intending meaning of what he says, which means he that eats me is going to contemplate and to live in this actual reality. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you from now and forever and ever. Amen.